For every veteran, there is a story. A story about a calling to serve, to fight for the freedoms of the American people. And every story has a struggle, a sacrifice, and invisible wounds. Warrior Wads programs help veterans recover from PTSD and invisible wounds through exercise, nutrition, and connecting with other veteran leaders. It is estimated that 22 veterans die each day by suicide and another 30 veterans die each day by substance abuse. These are preventable deaths. Warrior Wad is committed to fighting PTSD through fitness, nutrition, and community. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Fitnation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness. Stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation our Tuesday after dinner show. We're coming to you live again on the road this week. This is our last week on the road for 2023. We are in Sterling, Virginia. So yet another another pin we can put on the map of where the Misfit Nation has landed this year. And tonight, we have a good one. Our next guest is a professional coach who partners with clients from all walks of life to achieve the personal and professional development goals that are most important to them. He served in the Navy for 23 years as a helicopter pilot and retired at the rank of commander. 
He has also been associate an, an associate professor teaching leadership and management and an in-house leadership consultant coach and facilitator for a Fortune 200 healthcare company. He currently lives in Boulder, Colorado with his wife, their two teenage children, and Hank, their dog. So without further ado, let's welcome U.S. Navy veteran Walt Morgan to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Walt. Hi, Rich. Thank you so much for having me on after dinner this evening. Um, and also a big thank you for amplifying the voices of veterans. I think our voices are frequently misunderstood. I might be able to share a couple stories around that this evening, but the service that you provide, I think is extraordinarily important and I'm grateful to you for that. Oh, no problem. Thank you for agreeing to come on, especially this late hour. Maybe it's a little earlier for you there in mountain time, so a little cooler probably too. So thank you for being on here. I, I just gave about two paragraphs about you, Walt. If you don't mind, reach back in there and tell the audience a little more about you from as far back as you want to go to how we got here today. Yeah, so um, a little bit about me. I, I did 23 years in the Navy, and that looks the way that it typically does, bouncing around from squadrons to squadron, doing the role of flying helicopters, deploying on ships to various places, um, sometimes deploying on, on the ground, um, as, as many of your listeners have done. So I think it's a pretty familiar story. There wasn't anything extraordinary about my service. I enjoyed it enormously. Um, I, it, I take that back. If there's something extraordinary about it, it, I would say that it was my unusual passion for flying. And maybe every pilot thinks that they have an unusual passion for flying. So maybe it's not as extraordinary as I think, but I really, really did love flying helicopters. And I'd also tell the story, Rich, if you were to go to the home where I grew up on a, on a rural ranch in Oregon, um, and you were to go to my childhood room, you would see hanging on the wall of that room, a picture I drew when I was five. And it's a picture of a helicopter and, and it, it bears the legend, when I grow up, I want to be a helicopter pilot. So even when I was five, I had this orientation that maybe someday that would be something that would be possible in my life. And I'm, I'm grateful to the taxpayers and, and, and to the United States Navy to be able to um, realize that dream in a way that also served our constitution. Um, so that, that was, I, I guess, a pretty standard career of a Navy pilot. But at the end, there was something that happened and I was assigned to be um, the Naval ROTC executive officer and commanding officer here at the University of Colorado. And the University of Colorado is near and dear to me. It's my alma mater. Uh, so it's where I earned my commissioning back in the early 90s. Um, to give you some context, my son's middle name is Folsom. Folsom is um, the stadium here on campus. So I, I've long had his attachment to Boulder and this attachment to the University of Colorado. So the Navy sent me here in a billet and the billet had two, I'd say two primary roles associated with it. One was to direct a leadership development program for our Navy and Marine Corps midshipmen. And the other was to serve as an associate professor teaching leadership and management here at the University of Colorado. So 
during those four years that I was teaching leadership at the university, I became fascinated, fascinated with the topic of leadership. And I would share, I thought I had leadership figured out coming into the job, right? Like I had been assigned to be in charge of certain organizations, groups of people, missions or whatever. And I, I felt that um, we had s some really good success on the teams that I've been designated to lead. Um, so I'm like, okay, I've got this leadership thing down. What I really realized during those, those four years of teaching leadership is I didn't know the first thing about leadership. I had practiced some leadership in a really limited way that was really unappreciative of, of the, the truth and the beauty and the complexity of what leadership really is and, and team dynamics and so many more things. So all of that to say that my understanding of leadership expanded fundamentally during those four years. And I really, really loved serving our, our developing officers in that role also, like in their leadership journey. And to be able to be a part of that was a real honor for me. So at the point when I retired after 23 years, and was ready to do the next thing, I was at a real crossroads, Rich. I mean, there is, as you know, kind of an establishment out there that recognizes who we are as veterans. Um, hey, Commander Morgan, we would like to bring you into this role in defense consulting, or many of my squadron mates are flying for airlines now. So that was a pathway that was available to me at that time. But then there's the other road, the other path, the one where nobody knows who you are at all. And you're kind of starting over. And I just sat with that choice for a while. And I really felt that the universe was nudging me in, in a direction that I will call generically leadership development. There was something in leadership development for me, and I felt kind of pushed into that unfamiliar territory. So I branded myself as a leadership development specialist, put myself out to the world, waited for the offers to roll in. Rich, the offers did not roll in. Um, and I just kind of sat on my butt for a long time and and tried to network and, and do these things. Um, one story I would share about that time I was, um, I applied for a job. I didn't get an interview. So I circled back to the hiring team and the hiring manager. I said, Hey, maybe you can help me understand. Um, I didn't get an interview. That's fine. But what could I have done better? What would have made a difference? And the hiring manager said, well, this is a leadership development position and you were in the military. And there is no leadership in the military. So you're disqualified from consideration. <laughs> well, that's, I don't think, I don't think that's a regular take. Like, I don't think most people in this world believe that or would say that, but that's what was presented to me. There is no leadership in the, in the military, except of course, for some of the most extraordinary leadership that any of us have ever seen. And some, probably some of the worst leadership any of us have ever seen. And where people gather and do remarkable things, of course, there's leadership. Of course there is. 
so that was um, what I felt I was up against. Um, eventually, this a, a Fortune 200 uh, healthcare company took a chance on me and brought me in, and it was a really unique. Is a really unique company with a really unique culture, and I used to say that the only other organization that I'd ever seen that was as intentional about their culture as this company was, was the United States Marine Corps. They were that intentional around their culture. They were so deliberate around the, the myths and the stories they told and their rituals and their artifacts. All of it was like critical to their culture. And the other thing is, is it was, you know, for obvious reasons, um, a very different culture than the Marine Corps. Didn't look anything like it, just they were very intentional about it. Um, it was a very heart-centric culture. It was a very emotionally forward culture. And I realized pretty quickly that in my own life, my spiritual self and my emotional self had been neglected for decades, right? You know, like coming out of the military, I was pretty good at thinking and pretty good at doing, but the emotional connection with myself and others and awareness and the spiritual connection to something larger. And I'm not talking in a religious tradition. I'm just talking in a greater sense of connectivity to something larger and, and, and my sense of that, um, it just hadn't been nurtured. And so I went on a very, very steep period of emotional and spiritual growth, as well as, you know, development as a coach and a facilitator and all those things that came with the job. And it was sometime during my three plus years with this company that they sent me to get my coaching certification from Integral Coaching Canada. And I knew as soon as I started that that was what that nudge from the universe had been about several years prior, that what I was called to do was to be a coach. And I felt so fortunate to find this integral methodology that allows me to, to serve and support others as, as they get rid of the barriers and limitations that prevent them from making their fullest impact through their lives. So that, that brings us up to, uh, to the point where I hung my shingle about uh, four years ago as a professional coach, and that is what I've been doing ever since. That's outstanding. That's a journey right there. And uh, our audience is used to hearing stories of journeys with our, a lot of our military guests. And for you to have that, uh, I guess, that manifesting that your future when you're five years old, uh, drawing a helicopter, putting it on your wall, that showed that you were forward thinking at five. And you're still forward thinking now to help others in leadership capacity. So that's an amazing journey and an amazing way to go through your through your chapters of life. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that and and understanding that. And I, I'd say something that feels really important about the journey is I learned to serve in the in the military. But I feel that my service was oriented towards a lot of self also. I already mentioned I had a lot of fun in the military. I enjoyed I enjoyed my service. And this is what I would offer to others from my own journey. I have learned to serve more deeply in my time after the military. 
and I continue to develop that sense of service. It continues to show up in important ways for me. And I, I continue to find deeper and deeper service and meaning through, through my life and my impact. Definitely. I think uh, a lot of us, once we get out and get, and like, I went kind of the same thing you did in my first 365 days, we're looking for that job and mm -hmm. sitting home and, and basically in my own head for 365 days. But then I realized there's bigger things in life than me. Yeah. The what was me stuff. I can, I can go that route or I can get off my butt, get that job and, start helping others and help them to find their path as well. And that's what, that's what motivated me was to get out of my own way and to, to find that purpose. We talked about this in the, the green room about uh, finding that purpose after service and okay. how it be becomes that obstacle for a lot of our brothers and sisters. And I think you, you've handled it well, I'm handling it well now. And there's some that just don't handle it well. And I think that's where leadership comes in. You don't stop leading once you hang them up. You got to keep leading in and take those lessons you learned and lead further. So my question to you is to share your version of why leadership is important now, even more important now in today's day and age than it was probably when you were that 18 year old kid going to college. Yeah. So I think leadership is, I think as a society, our understanding of leadership is limited. And, and speaking from the eye, I know that my understanding of leadership continues to evolve. And I often invite people to share their definition of leadership. And a fascinating thing tends to happen. People usually say, okay, my definition of leadership, a leader is somebody who is kind and empathetic and connects people to their goals and supports them in achieving them. I'm like, okay, that's, that is maybe what some good leaders do, but that's not the definition of leadership. Leadership is a noun. Leadership is a thing. It's not a person. It's a thing. So what is your definition of leadership? And, and check in with that every couple of years. Cause I would say about every three years, my definition of leadership changes. And I think that's okay. As I evolve, my definition of leadership also evolves. And I say all of this because I believe as a society, we have inherited hundreds of years of that limited understanding of leadership. And now the bill is due. The bill due, comes due every once in a while. You know, it came due in, in 1917, you know, overseas and at home, you know, as influenza ripped through our communities and as Americans died on, on foreign soil, um, as, as the world faced the grim realities of modern warfare. And the bill came due again when fascism swept across our globe in the 40s, right? Sometimes the bill comes due and, and I feel that in many ways um with with modern technology and also um challenges that we face in in a changing climate and environment that the bill is due again and if we take our same understanding of leadership that we've had before 
that we were not equipped to really deal with those challenges is my guess. So I will share what my definition of leadership is. It does not have to be anybody else's because guess what? We are all wherever we are in our personal journey and understanding of leadership and that's fine. So I don't, wherever anybody is, I'm okay with, but the invitation for everybody is to continue to grow as a leader, to continue to choose to grow as a leader, to expand their understanding of leadership so that we can work together as communities to face some really, really looming and 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 potentially even existential challenges. So my definition of leadership is the process of turning our best intentions into impact, which really requires us to look inward, to find our truth, to know our truth, to understand what our best intentions are, to know when our truth is at odds with what society is telling us. That's when leadership gets real, right? When we have to push back against prevailing convention because because our truth is misaligned with it. And it doesn't mean that we can't evolve and our understanding and our truth can't evolve. But the first step I believe is looking within and then choosing to take action, choosing to be a leader, choosing to make a difference um, and, and creating that impact <clears throat> in our lives that, that makes things better. Definitely. And, and that stays with the theme of purpose. Yeah. You have to leave, leave with that intention to have that in, to turn its impact. And if you leave and in, live intentionally, you will have an impact on people, hopefully in a positive manner and uh, show them the way, the light, uh, the light of day and, and the path of, of least resistance for them. If they don't want to fight against it, it's usually the best way to go. And then they can learn, like you said, from their path as they go, take lessons from you, take lessons from me, take bad lessons from here, good lessons from here, bring them together and find your leadership and know what you can do to help others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about the skill sets of leaders and, and, and those can always be expanded. And I believe that it starts from within and, and I also find it's useful to distinguish between leadership and management also. Right. As we begin to understand, expand our understanding of leadership, I think a good place is to start is just to say, okay, where does leadership in its strictest terms look different than management? And now we, I think we've just begun to expand our understanding for ourselves of what leadership is. Exactly. And uh, if once you understand that, I think it's easier. Life becomes easier. And I, th- I tell people, well, read something new every day, learn something new every day. You may not finish a book every day. Some people can't read that fast or don't stay focused that fast on one thing. So at least read a book a week or two and, and keep uh, getting that, keep your mind being a sponge to learn different things. And you'll, like you said, you'll evolve your leadership every few years. You'll find different techniques that work better for you and for those around you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that, that we learned in the military that were useful as, to us in the military that continue to be useful to us as, as, as leaders. And I would also offer there are things that were useful to us in the military that may not continue to be useful. And how are we adapting 
right. and a trap that I fell into in my own uh, retirement was assuming that I had the skills that I needed for whatever was next. I wasn't, right. I wasn't really connected or aware of that gap. And, and so that would be the other thing. What is it that I can do better? Whether it's build warmer relationships with, um, you know, outside of the structure of hierarchy to, um, you know, for me, the skills that have been most critical um, since the military is to learn to really, really, really listen. That's probably yep. been number one and it's been hard. So becoming a listener for me and my work has, has been essential. Uh, developing my sense of service, uh, moving more readily into those details that I used to rely on others, particularly sailors to do. And now, okay, like, oh, this is my job now. And I, I need to, to move with more purpose on those things. That wasn't easy for me initially. It's still not easy for me, but I'm better at it, right? What is it that I need to better be able to do now that I don't have a, a chief by my side making stuff happen? Or, or a whole crew around you at all times yeah. to make sure that that airframe gets off the deck or off the, the LZ to the next point. And uh, you, they only operate as a team all the time. And now you're out there on your own, but you're you're coaching people and uh, you do integral coaching. What? How is that different from other forms of coaching? So some of your audience might be familiar with Ken Wilber and integral theory. Um, some people are. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter if they are or not. Um, integral theory developed over several decades as in an inclusive and systematic categorization of everything. Everything can fall within integral theory. It's a really powerful way of understanding things. So there's a couple of coaches up in Canada who were very successful coaches, but they are also enamored with integral theory and thought, what if we combine integral theory with coaching? What, what will happen? And it's, it's a methodology that is very, very effective at understanding and honoring the complexity of any individual, right? Through the, through the lenses that integral coaching provides, I find that I can really deeply appreciate that person and understand them. And even that's not perfect. I have to hold it lightly. You know, only the person themselves knows for sure. And then it provides, it provides a powerful exploration for understanding what is most important to that individual. What do they want? What's getting in their way? Let's explore that at depth so we can understand this one thing, this one thing that they want to be able to do better, you know, whether it's um, to better have faith in my team so that I can shift my focus towards strategic relationships and goals, or whether it's to connect and discern my own voice um, so that I can... Um, lead with confidence every single client i have has a different topic and once that 
that thing is named, the entire integral program shifts in orientation to achieve that thing. So in about six months, there's this just, just, I can't tell you how perfect integral coaching is for me. Um, so in about six months, there's going to be a path for that individual that is uniquely tailored to who they are as a person and what's important to them. No two programs ever look the same, right? They're different programs for different people, but the end result is the same, which is there's a transformational experience. So in about six months, that individual is able to do something that's very important to them that they couldn't really do before. They have more choice in how they show up for certain things where they felt limited or stuck before. So that's that's kind of the the very, very um, simple description of integral coaching. I think that was uh, easy enough for everyone that's listening to understand. Uh, those listening on About Pace Radio, those on YouTube and all the socials, I'm sure they can understand that. That was, that was pretty, uh, I guess, in the art and military, we call it keep it simple and uh, keep it simple stupid. So that's us, kiss the kiss method. That was the best way to do it right there. Good. <laughs> yeah. So what uh, you serve a lot of people. What kind of client do you love to serve the most? Uh, that's such a good question. Um, I used to struggle with that because I felt like I needed to name some really specific things. I have a, I have a dear friend who's very, very talented in business. She's a photographer. And when I was starting off in my business, she was mentoring me. And she said, Walt, you have to know who your clients are. I know what vehicle my client drives. I know what font they use. I know where they go on vacation. And I know within the first sentence of an email if I am going to take them on as a client or not. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty high standard. <laughs> so, so four years into this business, I have no idea what font my clients prefer. None. So <laughs> I learned to define it wildly differently than my friend did. I, what I realized was it's about willingness. That's it. The client that I love to serve is the one that is willing and ready to grow. And it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I, I like to say I'm not an executive coach, but most of my clients are executives. And that's true because guess where, guess where people invest in coaching? It's in business. And guess who they invest in? They're executives. So I do serve a lot of, of executives and really unapologetically. I love my executive clients, right? It, it's, it's about five minutes into the first conversation become, before they become really human and vulnerable and their pain is revealed. And, and the work that we do is important to them. It becomes important to their families. It becomes important to their teams. So I love to serve my executives and I have veteran packages. Um, I offer discounts for I, on my burnout programs for teachers and first responders because those I just uh, I, I just want to serve those people doing that work. I think teachers in particular are extraordinarily underappreciated 
in in their service to to our communities and the work that they do i think is is um vastly misunderstood in their commitment um and here's something else young people can i can i talk about coaching young people for a minute good all right so um i was wondering a few years ago what can i do to expand my passion for leadership just beyond my business business is going fine i'm making my money i have this capacity to serve in 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 other ways and i read a book called leadership reckoning and i won't go into the details of the book except to say leadership reckoning determined that even though every institution of higher learning every college every university says that they're preparing leaders for the next generation that's actually absolutely crap they aren't right there is no measure that suggests that they that universities are building leaders and so um the door institute at rice university started testing a number of of ways to develop leaders and they found that really the classroom isn't a good way. And they found that weekend retreats in the woods aren't really that good of a way. And they found that even mentorship wasn't great. What they found was really effective in developing leaders in universities is coaching. I'm like, oh, well, I'm a coach. I can do something about that. So we rather, I rather quickly, uh, I worked with another coach. We pulled together a team and within a month and a half of reading that book, we were coaching our first 20 clients at the university. The pro program got funded. And this year we are linking professional coaches to 60 students. We're professionally coaching 60 students and we'll continue to expand beyond that. And the results are being researched and studied and they are phenomenal. These young people are growing in, in measurable ways as, as leaders exhibiting leadership behaviors and awareness and identity than they are compared to their peers who aren't being coached. So I coach one college student a semester as part of that program. By the way, this is no fee. This is funded by the university. It's no fee to students. So I'm coaching a, a student per, sem per semester, and this is what I'm finding, Rich, is that young people are so agile in their in their thoughts. Like like I'm an old guy, so I have like these these neurological pathways have closed down for me, and I'm encumbered by decades in the workforce, and it's all like just pressing down on me and and limiting me in many ways. These these college students, these young people in their twenties, don't have that, and and many college students aren't ready or willing to grow as leaders or to be intentional around that. And I acknowledge that, but the ones that are, oh man, they grow fast. They do, they just make these connections. They're so so engaged, so agile. Their growth is so palpable and powerful and useful. And the way I think of it, Rich, is just like we do investing. Right, the the younger you start investing, the larger your return over time. But when it comes to coaching young people, I don't think of the return as being financial. I think of it as being the impact that they make through their life and through their intentions. So if we can coach somebody when they're young, 
and change their trajectory just a little bit over time that's going to make a phenomenal difference in their own lives the lives of others it's just so i have started offering a discount um to people in their 20s and i'm starting to get some people like young people usually sponsored by their parents that's okay um who are taking advantage of that so who do i love to coach anybody who's willing but I doubly love to coach somebody who's young because I'm I'm just so excited about what they're going to do with that. That's outstanding. And uh, you said mentorship doesn't work. I, I think uh, there'll be a lot of people that argue that it does work mm -hmm. if you hit them at the right time. Uh, if you yeah. hit uh, the youth of, say, middle school, high school, mentor them, you're not going to coach those kids. you got to mentor them. And those are the ones you can turn. You turn it out of bad things and give them that positive influence. And maybe that plus what you're doing at the, the university, you, we, we mold the leaders of tomorrow and uh, the next yeah. generation of leaders. That's how it's going to work out for our country and, and probably the whole world. So, and, and I don't, so mentorship in, in institutions of higher education weren't effective in advancing the specific leadership qualities that were being measured. I am a huge fan of mentorship, huge. And I'm also a big fan of, of class, you know, exploring leadership in the classroom. I teach at the university still, um, and that's important to me. So just because this book dismissed these things, I think mentorship is extraordinarily important. And anybody I coach, I also encourage to find a mentor and to be a mentor as well. Definitely. Uh, we have a course we have a, a chapter of the Travis Manion Foundation. I believe there's one up there in uh, Colorado Springs. So I'm not sure how far that is from you, but I know there's one in the Springs. And what they do is they go out into the schools and they mentor the youth in the middle school, high school range. They sit with them. It could be for either a month or a semester just to get those those young those young minds going to find out their character strengths. And mm -hmm. once they build on those character strengths can build them into the next the next leaders and it's great to watch the transformation uh i think we get more out of it than them sometimes because we see them grow and and i mean they're they thank us for everything but we get thanked just by seeing them smile and, and come up as better people yeah and by the way that's a leadership initiative in itself even showing up as a mentor you know is the process of turning your best intentions into impact in others lives um, we also have a mentorship program here at the CU Center uh, for leadership, and I think it's, I think it's an amazing way to engage young people with their communities and to make them feel like they have a place, and and to allow them to meet other people that creates opportunities for them in their life too. So I am, I I love that work. And it's very fulfilling, and that also helps with that serving that purpose. I think that we were talking earlier and in the green room about finding that purpose. It really helps veterans and first responders that are looking for that other thing, that thing that they're missing, and it helps out a lot to give back and, and see their, their work come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's an important connection. Yes. Well, uh, what three tips would you give our, a lot of our audience, all our first responders, veterans, and then, of course, as a in there what advice would you give them to start to live that purposeful life and maybe make a turn for for better in their own life 
Yeah, tips are, I mean, everybody's different. Everybody's in a different place in their journey. Um, so I don't want to be too prescriptive. But one thing I would always share is be alone with yourself. Put down the smartwatch and the mobile device and the phone and the computer. And just, I invite you to even put it on your calendar. Even if it's just 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, be alone with yourself and be comfortable being alone with yourself. I, 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 um, I'll, I'll even catch myself. I'm pretty intentional around creating that space, but I'll catch myself in the, in the email, chat site, phone, LinkedIn loop going in circles and I'll feel this kind of emptiness start to surface for me. So I'd say number one, um, be alone with yourself. Number two, if nature is available to you, be alone with yourself in nature. I spend a lot of time in the backcountry, but it doesn't have to be a backcountry trip. Um, it can be a hike someplace. I mean, I, 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 I'm in Boulder. I'm, I'm, I'm truly blessed right, to have yes. hundreds of miles of trails. I, I mean, I'm not kidding without outside my door and I take advantage of that. And even if you don't have that, find a tree sit against a tree, lean your back against the tree, feel your feet on the ground. You are, we evolved so much as a part of nature. We are a part of nature. And I think we forget that sometimes. So anything you can do to connect with, with nature, um, go out at night, look at stars. I mean, these are powerful things that allow us to feel our place in this, in the beautiful expanse of, of our world and our universe. Um, so that would be tip number two. And number three is honor your body. Honor your body, whatever that, every day in a way that, um, you know, for me, it's, it's through being very intentional about my food and its sourcing because I feel like my food is what connects me to to other things, right? Knowing where the food is from, knowing the rancher um, that it comes from, trying to eat clean. And and I'm useless if I don't work out first thing in the morning. That's that's me. Everybody's body is different. But how can you honor your body? Because your body really is the source of everything. It's it's more important than your mind, right? Your body and your your body informs your mind right? Your, your mind is a client of your body. So how, what can you do once a day to honor your body, to make it healthier, to serve your purpose and your impact in this world? Outstanding. Great tips right there. And uh, I love the outdoors myself. Uh, Tennessee has plenty of trails, not as much as Colorado by no means. Uh, not where I am, but Eastern Tennessee, yes. But uh, yeah. not where I am, but there's, I mean, there's enough woods and stuff to get out there be with nature and just escape uh, a lot of, a lot of veterans like to get out and just do something like you said there. And uh, some of them, they run and that's their yoga. They get out there and they blank out and that's their yoga time. They're running and that's, that's the time where they hike and do it. Some go hunting and do it. all that is outside. Just like you said, and I, that's a very healing moment. So thanks for those tips. And 
thanks for all the advice you've been giving tonight. Uh, how does someone get in contact with you maybe to have you coach them, have you uh, coach their company or just talk, chat with you? Yeah. So one, reach out to me for any reason. Um, I am, I love to talk about leadership. I love to talk about personal development. So don't be shy about reaching out. Um, uh, easiest way to contact me. Well, your audience can contact me directly via email, which is Walt W A L T like Walt Disney Walt at T lift coaching.com T L I F T coaching.com. Um, or if you want to browse my website, you can go to T lift coaching.com and hit the contact button. Um, I do have specific, uh, veterans coaching packages, but I also have leadership developmental packages. I do corporate veterans programs. Um, and however I can serve anybody in, in their personal and leadership development, um, I'm honored to do so. Outstanding. And, uh, what the website was going across, the email is going across now. Both will be in the show notes for those who uh, watch this or listen to it later when it gets released on all podcasting apps. Walt, again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for everything you've done for our country and what you continue to do with uh, motivating and leading the, those uh, young minds at the university and getting them to think about other things and become good leaders. Uh, Rich, thank you. It's been such a fun conversation for me. You're a great listener. You're a great host. You ask powerful questions. And again, I'm just grateful for the service that, that you provide by amplifying veterans' voices. Awesome. Well, be well. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you serve in the military? If so, you can obtain a free lifetime pass to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. These sites are located across more than 400 million acres of public lands, including national parks, wildlife refuges, and forests. The lands host activities to fit any lifestyle, hiking, biking, fishing, camping, and much more. Gold Star families are also eligible for these free lifetime passes. Plus, they cover entrance fees for a driver and all passengers in a car, or up to three additional adults at sites that charge per person. Obtaining one is easy. Just go to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, or the National Park Service app. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. That's themisfitnation.com. Check out all of our past episodes and get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation.